This is the Speaking of Writers podcast. I'm Steve Richards. More than 30 years after Cary Grant's death, biographer Scott Iman sheds new light on the life of the Hollywood icon in Cary Grant, a brilliant disguise, drawing on Grant's own papers, extensive archival research, and interviews with family and friends. Born Archibald Leach in 1904 in England, Grant came to America as a teenage acrobat to find fame and fortune on the vaudeville stage. But he was always haunted by his past. His father was an irresponsible responsible alcoholic, his mother was committed to a mental asylum when Grant was just 11 years old. Partly due to his troubled childhood, Grant would have difficulty forming close attachments throughout his life. He had few truly close friends. He married five times and had numerous affairs with both men and women. In spite of his complicated personal life, Grant's acting career was extraordinary. He was unsurpassed in romantic light comedies such as Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, The Philadelphia Story, and so many others all of which remain popular today. In the 50s, he began working with Alfred Hitchcock to make some of his best and most famous films, including Suspicion, Notorious, To Catch a Thief, and North by Northwest. So powerful was Grant's box office appeal that he was able to secure a significantly higher percentage of box office revenue than other actors. He was twice nominated for an Oscar and worked near nearly every A-list actress in Hollywood, from Mae West to Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, his favorite actress. Scott Iman was formerly the literary critic at the Palm Beach Post and is the author and co- or co-author of 14 books, including the bestseller John Wayne, and with actor Robert Wagner, the bestsellers Pieces of My Heart. And you must remember this. Among his other books are Hank and Jim, The 50-Year Friendship of Henry Fonda and James Stewart, Empire of Dreams, The Epic Life of Cecil B. DeMille, Lion of Hollywood, The Life and Legend of Louis B. Mayer, and Print the Legend, The Life and Times of John Ford. Iman also writes book reviews for the Wall Street Journal and is written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Chicago Tribune. Makes his home in beautiful West Palm Beach. Happy to have Scott Iman back on this program. Scott, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Good to see you. Good to hear you, rather. Good to hear you. <laughs> yes. Well, why Cary Grant as a subject for you? Well, ideally, I like to look for people to transcend their own time, uh, which I think is a is a solid indicator of, of quality. Uh, I mean, some people that are, are very good. I mean, there are, there are wonderful writers that are semi-forgotten. There are wonderful actors that are semi-forgotten, too. But ideally, I like to look for people that speak to our time as well as their time, uh, because they transcend that period. And, and that's that means there's something special about them, because most actors and most actresses and most writers are essentially locked in their own time. They don't really transcend their time. If you can speak to multiple generations, then you're speaking something uh, that has the possibility of being profound. So I, I, look, for, I look for subjects that, uh, that come under, that fit into that box. I talked a little bit about young Archie Leach's childhood and what it was like, the alcoholic father, his mother, uh, in a mental asylum. Um, what was the effect that had on Cary Grant throughout his life? Uh, he didn't trust love. Mm. He didn't. Uh, he needed it, but he was scared of it. And when he got it, he would test and test and test and withdraw. Uh, his 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 romantic life is essentially a procession of seduction followed by withdrawal, seduction followed by withdrawal, and and the wives couldn't figure it out because, on the one hand, he seemed to be just like Cary Grant. And on the other hand, he'd retreat into silence and brooding and, and fault-finding and carping. 
and th- th- there was not much middle ground between the extremely charming Cary Grant and the extremely depressive Cary Grant. And as a result, uh, uh, he uh, the, the marriages broke up because I don't think he uh, a friend of his I talked to, a man named Walt Odets, the son of Clifford Odets. Uh, Walt became a psychologist. And Walt knew Grant as an adolescent and young man. Uh, and looking back on Grant from his professional standpoint, he said that he thought Grant uh, didn't really feel worthy of love, that he felt he was undeserving. And as a result, when he got it, he would uh, 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 basically destroy it at the se- you know, almost immediately. Uh, and he said there's nothing you can really do if you don't feel lovable. If someone doesn't feel lovable, no matter how much you tell them that you love them, they don't really buy it. They don't buy into it. And uh, he thought that was essentially at the core of Grant's personal relationships. And I, I'm inclined to think he's probably right because it fits the evidence. He had relationships with both men and women, married five times. The young Archie Leach, mm-hmm. he left school at 14 years old, and he found some success and some happiness in the Bristol musicals. Well, he found he he he, found, he wanted out of Bristol. That was he wanted to get away from his family. That's fair. he kept a diary for about five or six months when he was fourteen years old. And it's very interesting because he's not really in school at all. I mean, he's cutting class all the time. Mm. And what he's doing is going to the movies and going to music hall, going to vaudeville. And he writes down the acts he sees and what he thinks of them. But mainly, as he puts it, he's roaming. Uh, that was the word he used. Uh, and he eats fish and chips and uh, works uh, picks up odd jobs at the theater. He was enthralled by the theater. He was enthralled by the uh, camaraderie amongst the performers, you know, the good humor, the uh, the warmth, uh, because it was something he didn't have at home. His mother was uh, 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 damaged, shall we say. His father was a drunk. Uh, the mother was institutionalized. He thought she was dead because his father led him to think she was dead. He found out she was alive uh, just before his father died, and he was already working at Paramount Pictures. So he had this, this hammer blow of thinking that the mother uh, that he believed uh, uh, for over 20 years was dead was, in fact, alive. Uh, so he, what he, what he, what he, grabbed, he wanted out of Bristol, and he, he, wanted to, he wanted to experience the warmth and camaraderie of the theater. So he joined a traveling group of acrobats, learned how to be an acrobat, which I think was the core of his performing confidence, his, his control of his body. He could do all sorts of things other actors couldn't do, whether it was somersaults or nip-ups or uh, anything you want, because he had absolute control of his body, which very few actors actually do. Because uh, he was a very skilled acrobat, even into late middle age. He could do all sorts of things. Um, so that was, that was essentially what led him to leave Bristol. And he really only went back to see his mother uh, after World War II. He would go once a year to see her, because he set her up in an apartment later in a retirement home. Uh, and he would go to see her, and it was very difficult for him because he kept expecting some sort of breakthrough uh, where they could they would find each other emotionally. But uh, the ball never really came back over the net, and he never did really feel secure with her. That he never felt that she really loved him or had any interest in him, actually. So it was a very compromised relationship, and sort of hung over him like a black cloud for his entire life. Chatting with Scott Iman here on Speaking of Writers. Cary Grant, The Brain Disguise, is his new book. So he ends up in America, acting in some small movies in New York. How does he end up in Hollywood? Uh, he, did a, he did a play on Broadway, uh, and he did uh, a, a short for Paramount. Uh, and they looked at him, and they said, my God, he's handsome. 
he doesn't seem to know what to do with his hands, and he's not much of an actor. <laughs> Maybe we should sign him up. In the, in the early days of sound, they were signing up anybody, you know, for, for uh, short money. To, and, you know, if they, if they worked out, they had somebody under contract. And if it didn't work out, they really had much, didn't have much of an investment. So they could just cut them loose. So they signed him up uh, for the standard seven-year contract, and they kept renewing him. And, he, and initially, his first pictures, he's really not very good. He sort of just stands there like an 8x10 glossy. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't project anything. You know, there's no personality coming across the uh, through the lens. Uh, but over the years, it took him about, I'd say, five years, four to five years, before he starts to express something internal. Something You can see elements of Archie Leach, and you can see the formation of what became Cary Grant in movies like Sylvia Scarlet and, and uh, some other pictures like that. Big Brown Eyes is a nice picture, too. And then it explodes uh, full force with movies like uh, 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 Bringing Up Baby and His Girl Friday. you got Gunga Din. Grant, over his 40-year career, made 73 movies. I mentioned some of the female co-stars he acted with. He really loved Grace Kelly. He also liked Ingrid Bergman. Why, Scott? He liked Ingrid Bergman because she was completely unpretentious. She'd show up at the studio with her hair pulled back uh, with shoelace. And she would just wore, you know, uh, schlubby khakis. And then she'd come out looking great. But that wasn't what she was about. She didn't, when she wasn't acting, she didn't act like an actress. She acted like a girl from Sweden, a wife from Sweden. He liked her unpretentiousness. He liked the fact that as far as she was concerned, it was all about the work. But when the light went off, then she went back to being a wife and a mother. And he really respected that uh, because she was able to do, she was able to live in two worlds at once, which is what Grant had trouble doing. I mentioned in the introduction, as part of your research, you had uh, went through some of Grant's own papers, interviews with family and friends. Mm -hmm. First question, was he a letter writer? Were there a lot of letters? There are some. Yeah, he was actually very witty. He was a good letter writer. Mm. Uh, the letters he wrote, he was, his two close friends were Clifford Odets, the, the playwright, and Irene Mayer Selznick, uh, the, the daughter of Louis B. Mayer and the wife of David O. Selznick, uh, until they divorced. Uh, and he wrote, uh, Irene Selznick, after she divorced her husband, moved to New York, and she spent the rest of her life in a suite at the Pierre Hotel. Uh, and they wrote back and forth all the time because Grant was didn't really go to New York much until he retired from the movies in, in the late 60s. Uh, so they wrote quite a bit. And his letters back and forth are delightful. He's very witty. He's very charming. He, if, you, if you didn't know anything about him, you'd think, oh, he's really Cary Grant because his letters are what you imagine Cary Grant's letters would be. Because when he wrote, he wasn't blue. He wasn't depressed. Uh, he, the, the, the black dog had an, of depression had an attack. So he's, he's usually writing when he's in a good mood and very upbeat. What did uh, family members and friends say about him? He was very cheap, right? Terrified of poverty. He was cheap. Well, a lot of people that have been poor are, are pretty paranoid about money. Uh, he was cheap about small things. Uh, he wasn't particularly cheap, but he would lend Clifford Odette's money all the time, for instance. Odette's was always short. So he would he he would lend money to people he liked and trusted, and he he always got it back. Uh, but he was uh, uh, cheap about small things, like he the L.A. Times would come every day wrapped in rubber bands, wrapped in rubber band. And he would keep the rubber bands. He had you know drawerfuls of rubber bands, things like that. Uh, uneaten sandwiches would be kept in the refrigerator, uh, and people would you know think well that's odd because he's quite wealthy, and he was indeed quite wealthy. Uh, but he was he was he was uh, tight about inconsequential expenses, not so tight about considerable expenses. Scott, what do you think his lasting legacy is? 
well, he was a superb act. He was probably, I'm sure he was, uh, would be considered the finest light comedian of, of probably the 20th century. I don't even think he's got much competition, frankly. Uh, and he was also an underrated uh, uh, dramatic actor. His best performances in movies like None But the Lonely Heart and uh, uh, To Catch a Thief and North by Northwest and especially Notorious. I love Notorious. I think it's his best, probably his best straight performance, his best dramatic performance. Those are, is, very few people are uh, so talented on both ends of the uh, show business spectrum, comedy and drama. But he was one of them that was, as well as the projection of a consistent image over over a 30-year career, 35-year career. Uh, and he was still a romantic leading man, basically, into his 60s uh, before he retired. But he didn't want to press it too far. <laughs> he thought he was. He thought he might probably already pressed it a little far. And he didn't. He had a horror of working with actresses who were thirty or thirty-five younger than years younger than he was, which didn't stop him from dating them or marrying them. <laughs> but he thought it looked un- He thought it looked uh, a silly on screen, you know. So uh, he basically felt he'd done the best he could, and he was sick of getting up at six o'clock in the morning to drink coffee out of uh, styrofoam cups on a film set. And he had all the money he ever needed, so he, he walked away. He's one of those rare actors that walked away. Most actors have to be staked through the heart, you know, uh, to get him to quit. But there are occasional actors that say, "Eh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got other things to do." Sean Connery walked away. Gene Hackman walked away, and Cary Grant walked away. And that's that's pretty good company to be in. Yeah. The book, Cary Grant: A Brilliant Disguise. The author is Scott Iman. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Anytime, Steve. Thanks for having me. And this is Speaking of Writers.